What's good, my people? What's good? This your boy, Jay Gibson, and I'm back with another edition of Black Minds Incorporated. And tonight, I want to talk about a serious topic because right now there's a lot going on in society and we have to focus on how do we get back to the top, right? How do we get our community thriving as, you know, as the the, the holiday of Juneteenth approaches and we sit back and we look at all the social unrest that's going on, we need to focus on legacy. And there's a lot of people talking about legacy, but I'm going to break it down tonight. And the topic I want to focus on is your land is your legacy, right? There's a lot of people talking this legacy talk and generational wealth. And I want y'all to be careful when y'all listen to that because yes, we should all be striving to build generational wealth, but let's break down what that means. Generational wealth basically implies that you have money and wealth and power and status that is passed down through several generations, not just from one generation to the next generation, because we have data and people have studied this that shows that most wealth in America, whether regardless of ethnicity, it dissipates. Like, say, if you have immigrants who come to the country, build the business, build a certain amount of wealth, pass that down to the children, usually the business or the wealth is dissipated by that second generation. So that's just the reality and the facts. Let's say if mom and pops own some type of business. The children don't always want to carry on that tradition or carry on that business, especially when we're talking about immigrant families, um, because a lot of people, let's say if they come from Africa or they come from the Caribbean or they may come from India or they may come from Europe or wherever they come from, the parents came here, usually didn't have any money, may not even have spoken the language. They build themselves a business and their whole lives have been about this business. We've all been to the Chinese food store. We see the little kid, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old behind the counter, you know, helping to get the sodas, helping to do this, helping to do that. Actually, now they start running the register. And, you know, by the time they hit high school, college, they go off to college, they may not want to come back to work at the family business. They want to become a doctor, lawyer, whatever they want to do or open their own business. And, you know, those are things that are just a reality of the generation because we're talking about generational wealth. We have to look at the mindset of the generations we're talking about. Right. And we're going to break that down. And that's why I said, you know, we have to understand the terms we're talking about. We can't just focus on a term, a catchphrase and say, yeah, I'm building a legacy. I'm building generational wealth because if we're not training our youth to understand what that means and what that is, and we're putting this pressure on them that they have to pursue these dreams and goals of uh, parents that sometimes are not the dreams and goals of the youth. And so if they don't understand the tradition, if we don't have a strong family foundation, it is going to be very hard to stand there and say, hey, we want to build generational wealth and we're giving y'all guys, you know, to make the next generation make it easier for y'all. 
to that child, they may not see see it that way. They may not even notice that it's easier for them because it's been easier for them their whole lives. They didn't go through the struggle. Now, maybe let's say if you have three children, the oldest child might have been there when you guys were young, just starting out. You didn't have you had like a small apartment or whatever, and you got your first house, or you started a business, or you know, mom went to college and got a degree. She was able to get a better job, so we were able to go to a better school and a better neighborhood. And by that second and third child, that third child is living in a totally different reality than the first child, right? And so when we're talking about generational wealth, we have to understand that we are so um, behind in so many different areas and aspects of life, um, especially when you're talking about the financial aspect of life and the wealth gap, right? So we have to understand that we have to ingrain in our children, right? And just our young people, period, that it is important to carry on these traditions and legacy to have your own dreams and goals, but do it in the terms of building wealth, but continuing the excellence, continuing, you know, building upon the work that their ancestors put in to not just throw that to the side. So you may choose your own career path. Right. But you're carrying on the tradition. You are pushing the ball forward to get to the goal now. I feel the easiest way to do that is through property and land. Now, like I said, I'm not a real estate agent. I'm not a realist claim to be a real estate expert, but I do own property and I do. Um, I was able to inherit some property. Right. And so I'm a living example and a perfect person to talk about this because people who set the foundation for you are allowing you to then get a head start. Now, there were trials and tribulations with that. Right. Because we had to finish paying off the property. We had to then make sure we secure the land the property was on. And that's a major key. A lot of um, our African-American um, homeowners own, they may own the home, but they usually don't own the land the home is on. So that's a whole nother aspect of the value. Now, some states, you know, it's just all bundled in one thing. And in some states it's not. So you could have a home that you own, but this land is maybe owned um, by someone else and you pay what is called a ground rent. Um, so it's included in the mortgage. And so, I mean, yeah, so it's bundled in um, with the mortgage in the city. When you go to get the deeds to your land, think about it, the deed to your house and the deed to your land. If they put it together, it's called fee simple. Right. Meaning that there's nothing. Um, everything is bundled together. There's nothing. um that's detached from the property. And so that's the thing we have to understand. What is actual legacy? If we look back in historical terms, a legacy means it is some, whether it's good or bad, you have bad legacies as well. And families who feel like they're just the relatives. We all know somebody who their whole family is considered to be bad and everybody in the family went to jail and everybody's, you know, just somehow no up to no good. And that family just gets a bad rep. So the youth that are growing up in that family, they, you know, they're burdened with this bad name. Um, and sometimes they got to move to another town and start over. But then when we focus on a good legacy, it may be 
a prominent family, a successful family. So when we talk about legacy, most people, the first thing comes to mind is success or some type of royalty, some type of wealth. So it's like, hey, this is your legacy. And, you know, this is what my life is going to be about. Therefore, you know, I'm going to pass this down. If I invent, let's say, famous Amos, right? So the, so let's say his name is Amos Smith. So the Smiths, from that particular town are going to be more well-to-do because they had a grandfather, uncle, whoever, who started this company and it became a huge success and they're all able to benefit from that because they get high positions um, in that company and they're able to, you know, become wealthy. And so let's think when you think about it, there, a perfect example is the Walton family, right? Walmart it's owned by the Walton family, and they're some of the richest people in the world. Um, when they break down the top, let's say, 20, 30 richest people in the world, they're, them as a family rank almost neck to neck, back to back. Some have a little few more billion than others, but they're worth over 60, I think 64 billion or something as a family, right? And then each one of them, this one's worth 15 billion, this one's worth six, this one's worth two, this one's worth eight. And so the, the wealth that's amassed from a business is spreads through the family. That is a legacy that now they have carried on because the patriarch of the family um, has passed on. And now the second generation and now the third generation is benefiting and continuing that legacy. Right. So you have to understand that. And that's something that we have to really kind of get our minds around. So I want you to understand when I'm talking about your land is your legacy. In that sense, your brand was your legacy. Right. So there's a lot of different things you can have. Your brand can be your legacy. Your land can be your legacy. Right. But let's just focus on the land tonight. Might do a whole series. I think that's what I'm going to do, a series of legacy series. And we have to understand that. So when we look at, let's say, a popular show, let's say Game of Thrones, right? They're all fighting over power for their particular territories, the north and, you know, down by the wall and uh, King's Landing and all these different um, territories that certain people are in charge of, but they're all beholden to the king. And so they report back to the king. And so he gives them the right to rule over you know, they're like his lieutenants and or generals, and they each rule over a certain territory. And then there's, you know, breakdowns of those territories within that region. You have people from this little part and this little part and that little part. So there's a chain of command. So when we're talking about land, and then if we talk to, to our Afrocentric experience, we're talking about, let's say, in Africa, you may have um, Egypt, but then you have the Mali Empire, then you have, you know, Ghana, then you have Kenya, then you have all these different areas and territories which had their kings who would rule over those territories. That And then you had the nobility that were part of, you know, the king's court, right? Just because it's not European, we still had the same power structure. So those were people who may have been the high priests. Those are people who may have been the generals and the soldiers of the armies. Those are people who may be the well-to-do businessmen, the, the you know, the, the people who were in the upper echelon of the society, right? And we have to understand that, that whether you're talking about African culture, Western culture, Asian culture, any culture, you're going to have a hierarchy. 
And so when we're talking about the frame, you know, when I'm coming from the perspective of your land is your legacy, that we're going to understand that these people made alliances, marriages were made through uh, to form alliances between kingdoms and between nobility within those kingdoms. So if I if my daughter marries the you know the son the right if she's she's the princess and she and she marries the prince of the neighboring town. Let's say I'm from New Jersey and my daughter is the princess of New Jersey. She marries the prince of Nebraska. So now we have an alliance, but let's just say it's more regional. Let's say the Prince of New York. Now our territories are aligned because we have a bloodline. They're going to produce heirs. Those heirs are going to have connections to both territories. So we're less, far less likely to destroy our own bloodline because we have an alliance, right? And so even today, when we talk about um, you know, insurance and those type of things, you have to have either business ties or ties by blood to legally be able to put insurance. Now, there's things through business, which is the money ties. If we either we're in some type of business together, we have some type of financial interest or we have blood ties. We're either a spouse or a child or a sibling or, you know, a parent, whatever it is to that person. Right. You can't just, hey, Joe Schmo, let me get a hundred thousand dollar policy on you. Right now, we're going to have to have we don't have any blood ties, so we're going to have to start a business. I'm going to put you down as a partner in the business so that I could take out this insurance policy. Right. So you have to do things to make them to have a connection. So that's the I just wanted to frame the conversation for you guys. We're going to get into some nitty gritty and I'm going to break down some statistics for you guys that is going to wake you up and make you understand, because I think it's very important for you to understand why your land is your legacy. So using this analogy of the ancient times. They're also across several other cultures, right? Not just Western culture and African culture, Asian culture and, and others. Um, only the firstborn son had rights, right? They call it your birthright when that started, right? Your birthright to the throne or to inherit whatever um, was coming to you from your the king or the if he was the prince or if they were part of the nobility or if they were a shopkeep. Right. And you inherit that shop. If he has children that come after you, they're only going to be in position if something happens to you. So when we look at the let's say the royal family in England, you have, um, you know, the two sons. And their father is the prince as well, who's in line to take over um, if the mother or the father pass on. But there's rumors that he is in position to go ahead and move out the way and let one of the old, the eldest son basically take on the throne because he's up in age himself at that point. And so he wouldn't even be on the throne. Um, but for probably a short period of time, then it would be passed to the son. So why make him wait? Let him go ahead and he advocate, he'd advocate his uh, power and he would go ahead and, and relinquish that to the son so he could now become the king of England probably in his 40s or something like that, which gives him a, a, a way longer reign. So the same thing happened in the dynasties of Africa where you had certain, certain kings and their children were, you know, you had King Tut, who was a boy, you know what I mean? The boy king, but tragically he was killed, right? So who has a claim to that legacy at that point? 
because a legacy infers that you have amassed doesn't have to just be a monetary thing. You have amassed an, uh, an accumulation of value. Right. And I'm passing that value down. So that is the that's the premise. That's that's my thesis. That's what I'm coming with. We are we are looking at this in terms of I have something of I've accumulated items or, you know, a certain type of status that is valuable. And I'm passing that down so that you can benefit from that platform that has been built. So when I'm saying your land, if you have land, think about the early analogy where you start the business, the kids don't want to do the business. But if you own 200 acres or you own 200 properties and the management of those properties is already people who manage it for you, but the benefits of the owning those properties are passed down so they can do whatever business they want. They can have whatever business they want. And like I said, they can still benefit from the foundation and the accumulation of assets that are valuable. And they're going to be able to then pass that down. And you have properties who have been in families for over 100 years or more, right? And the same piece of property and it's grown in value over time. And so you and the more land you amass, you have space. You can create your own, basically your community. Right. So like the Kennedys, they have the Kennedy compound where they have all this land and Joe's house is here and Bobby's house is here and Susie's house is there. And, you know, and all of these people can live on the land and still have their own um, independence, but still be benefit from the value, benefit from the status, benefit from the accumulation of assets. So that's why it's so important to pass it down. Now, I want to give you guys some, so start giving you guys some numbers because I know you're thinking, okay, yeah, that sounds good. But, you know, all right, yeah, it's hard to get a house or blah, 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 whatever your reasoning is. Or, you know, I want to build my legacy and then, you know, we're going to pass this down. Now, I'm going to give you some hard facts and some statistics so to prove why for African-Americans, it is imperative, and I mean imperative, that we start buying property and stop renting. As long as you're paying rent to somebody else, you have no ownership. If you have no ownership, you have no equity in it, it will never grow in value, and you will constantly have to live by someone else's rules. Literally, you can only do but so much in that property. You can only save so much because guess what? Every single year, every two years, that rent is going up with the cost of inflation. So it's not like, okay, the rent, okay, I'm renting, but this rent's 500 bucks and I lived here 15 years. No, it's going to go up and up and up and up. Your salary may not go up and up and up. You may be stuck at a certain salary. And so therefore, it's all relative to the funds you have. Also, the fact that we have to look at the black families. If you have more than one income in the household, then one income could theoretically take care of the bills while the other income takes care of, you know, saving and building a nest egg and investing that money. Right. But one of the one of the biggest um, detractors yesterday, and I'm going to show you some statistics in a minute. I'm going I'm to read them to you and give you the sources where we got them from um, that show, yes, it is difficult for African-Americans to get approved for, for loans. Now, keep in mind, I said I inherited a property, 
But if we want to set our children up, like I said, regardless of what their individual pursuits is, then we need to get some property so that they can inherit it. And if they choose to sell it, they can choose to sell it. If they choose to rent it out, now someone's paying them rent instead of them paying them with the other person rent. Because if we don't have any ownership, that that affects a lot of things in this country. You have to think about that. You don't have any ownership in your community. Then how much power and strength do you have in your community? You're just, they they call them transient communities, meaning that people come in, people go out. There's always new people coming in. So there's no sense of community. There's no camaraderie between the neighbors. Everybody basically stays to themselves. Nobody talks to anybody. Everybody's looking over their shoulder. There's crime in the neighborhood because these people, they don't have ownership. If you ever notice that when you go to some other neighborhoods, it doesn't have to just be white neighborhoods. You go to some well-to-do or even just... Um, well-established black neighborhoods. You're going to just go through somebody's neighborhood and throw trash on the ground? Think about it. If you own property and your neighbors are around you, you're just going to take your trash bag of chips and just throw them on the ground? Then the chip bag of chips is going to do what? It's going to blow over to their yard. And they're going to say, hey, man, what, why you ain't pick that up? I'm not picking up your trash. There's just a different societal um, norm. Right. And that's what we have to understand. It's not just about, oh, I bought a house or I let my son um, inherit my house or, you know, I'm setting up my daughter. So when they get married, I bought them a house so they didn't have to worry about it and all these other things. So we have to understand right now we're fighting for equal justice. We're fighting for all these things. But if we have no ownership, how much do they have to listen to you? Because you're living in their building. And you're paying them rent. So no matter what you say out your mouth, they're not being affected by it because guess what? You're paying them. They can. They, there's a lease. Yes, they have to honor the terms of the lease, but to the bare minimums of it. Right. And at the end of that lease, they could choose not to renew it. And they could say, hey, you know, we're not going to renew the lease. You have to get out. We're giving you a certain by law, let's say 90 days, you know, notice that the lease is not going to be renewed. And they could just, you know, you could have to move out or they'll just raise the rent to the point where you it won't be you know, affordable for you and you have to go. But if we spend our whole lives paying rent on something that we basically have bought that apartment five times by the time we, <laughs> we reach retirement. You move in and you've been living in apartments since, let's say, you were 18, 25 years old, whatever. Let's say 25, from 25 to 65, that's 40 years. If you added up all that money, that would be several hundred thousand dollars. You could have bought that home. You could have bought yourself a home and had it paid off and had at least half of another one paid off. Okay, for the money that you're putting into someone else's pocket so they can pass that down to their children and their loved ones. And they're going to continue on because it's a business. It's basically an asset that you can have and it doesn't affect your day to day career. It's just sitting there. So like, you know how many people have properties that are just sitting there boarded up, let's say in Detroit or parts of, um, you know, uh, uh, parts of L.A. or parts of Baltimore, or parts of. Um, you know, North New Jersey, Camden, New Jersey, these kind of places, right? So I'm going to give you guys some of these statistics. And I want you to understand why I'm pushing this so hard. So this says, by since 2001, the African-American home ownership rate has declined 5% compared with a 1% decline for white families and increases 
for Hispanic families. So the Hispanic families have increased since 2001, at least 1%. The white families only declined 1%, which has a lot to do with the recession, and we'll get into that. And the African-American home ownership rate declined 5%. So we're five times um, worse than our two ethnical counterparts. So how in the, in, the, in the world are we going to compete? How are we going to have um, ownership, right? So how are we going to pass down this legacy? The home ownership rate for, of black millennials stands at only 13% compared to 37% for white millennials. So that's almost three times, okay, the white millennials that have owned homes versus African-Americans. And that source is the Urban Institute for both of those two statistics I just gave you, right? This stuff can be looked up. So let's just sit on that for a minute. I got a few other statistics for you, but let's just sit on that for a minute. If, right, since 2001, the home ownership rate for African-Americans declined 5% and it only went down 1% for our white counterparts and it actually increased 1% for our Hispanic community, how are we passing down this legacy? What legacy are we actually passing down? And how, how much, um, you know, how much leverage do we have with our elected officials to, to, to you know, and I'm talking about on a local level. You go down to the city council, you're a homeowner. You're going to have a little more say so because you own property, you pay, you pay property tax and you're part of that community on a more long term basis. Right. You have a stake in that community. Right. You planted roots there. If you own two, three, four properties in that community and you go down there and they say, oh, this guy owns about three or four properties. or This guy's a business owner in this community. We need to at least listen to him a little more. Right. The old lady who's paying rent in her building, that that doesn't mean she shouldn't be listened to. But unless she goes and gets everybody in that building to sign a petition for her. How much leverage is she going to have? Now, keep in mind, I'm not saying you don't have any leverage, right? But you're not building any wealth. And yes, if everybody in the building stood up for and said, we're not going to do this or we're not going to do that, you would see some changes. But make no mistake about it. They can find somebody else. In fact, they have government programs. Most famous one is Section 8. To put people in these in these uh, residences. So you got some tenants, some landlords rather, that only deal with government backed tenants because they know they're going to get their money and they can charge higher rates. And so they're um, they're getting a government check. Right. But they're getting it on a mass scale. And they're taking that money and reinvesting it. And guess what they're doing? Buying more land, more property. Because I don't want to just focus on houses and homes. Property, right? Land. If you have a certain amount of acres, you can build as many houses as you want. You can build apartment buildings. You can build schools, right? And when we get out into the, you know, the suburban areas and the rural areas, most of those people who might have been farm owners and stuff or ranchers, they own hundreds of acres. So now that, you know, you own your own little neighborhood. So your whole family could live on that land. Back to what I said about the Kennedys. So now we're constantly, it's only one property tax. Think about that. Now you could 
do them as one-off properties and each property would have, you know, and you could sub, you know, you could lease that plot of land like I talked about earlier, but they do own the property. They pay you a mortgage for that property. Now, guess what? You're a real estate developer. You're developing apartment complexes or condos that are going to now be worth millions instead of just that couple hundred thousand that just that individual house is worth. You put a group of them together and now that same piece of property when it was it could have been one big house, but we broke it up into four or two families and put them together. Now, that's a that's a basically, you know, a little condo, little community. And so now you can go to the bank and get what is called a development loan. You can get you can get backing. But we can't do anything if we can't get on the board. So let me give you some more statistics. Right. Let me break this down. Let me give you some numbers. So about 240,000 African-Americans lost their homes to foreclosure between 2005 and 2008. Now, the source for that is the Center for Responsible Lending. It's key that that came from the Center for Responsible Lending. These people are, you know, advocacy groups who track what's going on in the um mortgage broker market to make sure everyone's getting fair uh, access to mortgages. They're getting opportunities to borrow so they can. Now, key word, you're borrowing to buy in most cases to get that home or to get that land. But you're paying that off. And at at a certain date, that loan's going to mature. And guess what? There is no more payments. So you own it at that point. As soon as you have it, and if you keep it in good standing, you can leverage that to get some money from somebody because the bank, you have what is called collateral. If you have no land or you have no property, you have no collateral. Why would I loan you money you're renting in an apartment? So it's going to be harder for you to show that you're a worthy candidate or what they call in the financial world viable, right? That you're financially viable to be able to get uh, a loan. So that's showing you, and it's, it's, it's a few more numbers I got for you, but that's showing you what we're up against as African-Americans. So while we're protesting and we want reform, we need access. And I've been saying this for a while now. We need access to opportunities to get the same breaks that some of our other counterparts are getting, and we're not getting those opportunities. And even when we do, you'll be surprised what's going to like how... They have used, they have done studies where they'll send African-Americans to go look at properties or to go apply for loans that have better credit. Hear what I'm saying, better credit than their white counterparts and still get worse terms. Now, how is that fair? That's just outright bias. But because these are private entities, right, it's hard to, I mean, what you're going to assume until they do studies like this and expose them. But it still goes on every single day. It goes on every single day. So I'm just showing you. I'm just showing you. That you need to understand the importance of owning property, of just ownership, period. If you do not have any ownership. Then you don't have any equity and you don't have any leverage. You can't leverage that property to get another one. You can't take the risks 
to start the business that's going to stay in your family for 50 years and you're able to build a business. You're not going to have the assets to pass them down, no matter, say, your kids want to do something different, but they just inherited this, this portfolio of assets. And if we don't train them to be able to manage that or to understand of how they think, then you could leave them all the money in the world, all the property in the world. How many people have gotten inheritance and blown everything, lost everything in a matter of maybe a few years? Something that they, their parents or their ancestors worked tirelessly for. Their entire life is was put into that. And you lost it in two years because you couldn't keep up with the payments or you couldn't. And I'm not judging people. I'm just saying the reality of it. You have houses that are paid for. When I went downtown to the courthouse to get the paperwork and everything for this property I'm in, there was a woman in the uh, office who was talking to the the attendant there and her home was paid for. The father had passed and the home was paid for about 20 years ago. But she was going to lose her home because her water bill and everything had ran so high. The taxes weren't kept up on the property and they're coming to get the property. They, you know, she was basically on her last leg. She had to run down to some of these offices to try to set up a program, which sometimes we don't we don't even get to. We don't even get informed about these things, that there are so many steps before foreclosure that you can get into some type of, you know, assistance, pay repayment. They can back in some of the payments. You know, they can work with you, but you have to know that these things are available. You have to go seek that information. And you also have to look at your lifestyle, what's going on with the financial choices you're making if you're in that situation. Right? A lot of us are trying to do this on our own. Right? Big shout to my single moms out there, my single dads as well, or just single people, period. And we're trying to build this thing on our own when it was never meant. We already, like I just said, five times behind. So we need to group up. We need, even if it's for a short amount of time, we look at our, you know, our counterparts. Like I said, a lot of immigrants come to this country. They'll have the grandmama living there, the brothers live there, the kids live there. You know, the guy, the, when the son gets married, him and his wife still stay there, you know, and they live in the basement and save their money for two, three years. So that they can go ahead and buy the home. The pops, you know, he may go ahead and loan you the 20 grand you need to get the down payment. And so you pay him back behind the scenes. But it helps you get a start in life. That makes people feel good that they were able to do something not only to, you know, to enjoy what you built and what you put. You get up every day at five, six o'clock in the morning or even earlier sometime to when that alarm clock goes off that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, you're going to be able to see the payoff of that, the fruits of your labor. You understand? Where is that we have to get change our mentalities, y'all? And we can scream and we can holler and we can do all the things that we, you know, we, we like to do, which are entertaining. Or we can start talking about some hard numbers. And these numbers are, are atrocious for us. Because what are we getting? What are we getting? Um bombarded with right we're getting bombarded with images of entertainment sports right some maybe even a criminal element that that's the way to success the shortcut we have in our own communities just in everyday people everybody's running a scam the credit card scammers 
right? We have people in our community, some of the women, and some of the men too, but some of the women, they're using children as a career option to keep getting benefits, you know, for two and three decades rather than go out there and build something. So when you suppress people's desire to build their own, if you restrict their access to opportunities, if you bombard them with images that are going to distract them from fixing their situation. I notice I have not said yet you couldn't fix these things or you couldn't go seek them out. And that's what I want you to understand. We as a community have a responsibility to share the information, but then nudge and push our people to seek it out and activate on that information. Not just get the information and then tell it to 10 other people about what we about to do, but we about to do nothing. We tear up our community when we riot and when we get upset. And I'm not saying you don't have a right to be upset, but we don't own that either. So we don't feel that connection. Now, that's the flip side. That's interesting. We don't own that stuff we tearing up. So we don't see the loss of it. In fact, we oh, they got money, they get insurance, so what the hell, I'm going to loot, I'm going to get me some sneakers, I'm going to get me, you know what I mean, some jewelry, whatever I could get. Because I ain't got nothing, so I'm going to just get what I could get. And that's the mentality of someone who's defeated. Right? They're just so fed up, they don't even, they don't care. A lot of us can do better. We can go seek out. They have the first time home buyers program, but we don't want to sit in those classes that it takes to get approved to go through the program. Right. But then we complain about we don't have access to the opportunities. So we got to put a real mirror up if we're going to get progress. But the first thing we need to do is stop giving our money to everybody else. Now, you may not be able to stop renting today. You say, well, damn, where am I live at? Right. Maybe I can't live with all my relatives. We just don't get along like that. Right. I want to have my own space. OK, fine. What else can you cut out? Sometimes the best thing to do is go apply for the mortgage, get denied and then sit there with the rep at the bank. Those are people just like you. You can even go to banks with people who look like you. Who will sit there and explain to you, okay, this in order for you to get approved, we got to get this. Most people, I say, I'll get the statistics for y'all. But I would say about 80% from some of my lending people that I know, my loan broker people and my mortgage broker people, about 80% of the people who apply for a mortgage don't get approved on their first try because there's something they got to clean up. Whether it's some old student loan debt, whether it's some credit card debt. Um, whether it's just, you know, they don't have a long enough work history or they don't make the income requirements, right? So we got to work on these things. We got to either partner up with somebody, find some way to get it done. And that's what we need to focus on, y'all. So as I said to you, you have to focus on your land so that you have something to pass down. That is going to allow you to have power and leverage. That is going to allow us to close this wealth gap. That is going to allow us to get the justice we deserve. That is going to allow us to be prosperous. We can talk about it all day, but we unless we sit at the table with the pen and the pad and crunch the numbers and understand where we are, right? We want to be able to set our children up that next generation for success. And then only the only way to do that, 
The only way to do that is through ownership. That's the only way we're going to do it. We have to have ownership of things that grow in value, which are assets. And it, and it's, uh, listen, you could lay it out. You could have people volunteer. Tyler Perry could say, hey, we're going to buy 100 people homes. Oprah could say, I'm going to buy 100 black families homes. Jay-Z could say, I'm going to sponsor 50 people. LeBron sponsor 50 people. And let's say everybody gets involved and everybody sponsors somebody. So you got 10,000 black families that's now homeowners. And that will have a, a positive impact. But unless we all collectively accept the fact that some of us are going to strive, some of us are just trying to survive. And you have to ask yourself the question, which one are you? Are you just trying to survive or are you on the road to strive? Are you aspiring to the next level? Are you getting your ducks in a row? Are you working on the things you need to work on? Because we could talk about legacy all day. But just information is not legacy. Right? Putting, yeah, values of having a hard work ethic and family values and respect and love and, you know, all of that. Yes, that's a legacy of values. But I can't take that and cash it in at Walmart to get me something to, you know, some sheets for my bed or some food in my refrigerator. Only thing that's going to do that is ownership. And if we're going to work for other people, we're going to give our money to other people. What's going to when are we ever going to have something for our people? So that's something to think about. I'm going to get on out of here tonight. We're going to continue this series. We're going to continue this talk. I'm going to bring some people on. We probably do a full panel on this. So stay tuned for that. I'll give y'all guys the update. Make sure you subscribe to Black Minds Incorporated on all social media platforms at Black Minds Inc. That's B-L-A-C-K-M-I-N-D-S-I-N-C. Right? And also check out my other podcast, Late Night Balls Talk. Sometimes I'll cross-promote and I'll put an episode here, I'll put an episode there if it caters to the audiences. But this is something we need to talk about. And we can't just say, yes, there is bias in the system, but we can't point at an individual group and say, you the one holding me back. It's the system that is systemically broken, but we have to do our part as well to make it, give the, to not give them any excuses to pin them down, to make them expose themselves to people who are trying to oppress us, the people who are trying to restrict our access, and we have to make sure we're not, you know, self-inflicting these wounds. And we're we're building that legacy. We're actually having some land to pass down. You feel me? So I'm going to get on out of here. It's your boy Jay Gibson. Y'all be safe. Everybody stay woke. This is where the scholars come to holler. Black Minds Incorporated. See you on the next one. Peace.